0: Well, good morning. Man, it's, it's uh, really awesome to have you here. We had um, our, our smoke pumping into um, the, you know, the room. That's a lot what our kids got to experience while we were singing and having our rallies in here. Um, so that's symbolic of, so you can see what the kids kind of experienced as we were singing and worshiping. It's also being in this fog is symbolic on how all the adults who volunteer feel this morning. Okay, they're just kind of like they just drag here, they're exhausted from having spent themselves on an incredible week, and we will celebrate um, that here in just a little bit. Um, If you are a guest with us, as Chris just said, we are really glad you're here, and um, if you chose to be here, this is your first week, um, you came at a great time, because we're talking about some really important stuff, and we're celebrating some really fun stuff as well. We are in a series, we just kicked it off last week, and the series that we're in is called four, all right? And uh, one of the things that you notice is that our culture seems to be solely focused um, as of late on the things and the people that we are against. And you see things posted, you see things um, written about, you you hear things talked about, and it seems like it's always focused on being against something or against someone and you see it on on your news feed and I don't know if you sit down and watch the news in the morning or maybe late at night if you read it on your phone or as you're sitting at work and your boss isn't looking and you're scrolling through MSN however whatever it looks like alright you get a real quick sense that we like to talk and and, and deal with and and post about things that people are against alright this is true on social media you see this all the time, people complaining about other people on memes, you know, um, who we are against. This happens um, when you're with your friends. It happens at work. So maybe you're sitting around at the break room and you're having lunch with, with, with some of your co-workers. The conversations can often quickly go towards talking about the things or the people that we are against. And then you see this too in your own homes and with our families. All right, you'll be gathering, um, you and I will be gathering a couple of times, probably this summer, maybe with some family for some summer holidays, and the conversations can easily go towards talking about the things that we're against. But what does the word for mean? When we say for, what what do you think about when you hear the word for? You may think that if you're for something, that you're in favor of it, right? You're supportive of it. You're not against something, right? So you think of the opposite. Well, if I'm not against something, I must be, I must be for it, right? Or maybe you think pro, or I am on someone's side. So if you're for someone else, you're rooting for them, right? You are pro them. So here's the point. In a culture that seems just saturated with againstness, all right, with things that we are against, what White Oak Christian Church wants to do is reclaim the things that we are for, all right? And, and, and that means that we want to reclaim for in the communities where White Oak Christian Church has influence. We want to reclaim for in the relationships that we have, all right? We want to be a church that is for. And so, This is the big idea for today. It's printed on the front of your program, so I encourage you to make sure you're taking a look at that, maybe even jot down some notes as we talk through this morning, that we are for you. We are for you. White Oak Christian Church is for you. We are pro you. We are rooting for you. We are for other people. Now, here's the truth about that, though. This is not something that we came up with as we were sitting in a meeting a couple weeks ago as a staff here at White Oak. We didn't make this up. This idea of being for people, about being for you, this, we didn't make this up, all right? We were just catching on. Because the truth is, followers of Jesus are for you because God is for you. It was his idea. He's the one that thought it up. It was his idea. This is, this is what we do because God is is for you. Now, I want to pray this morning, and I just want to pray just that God would just kind of be in this place, open our hearts and our minds to the things that he is for. So if you would, let's pray. Father God, um, we come to you now, Lord, um, (laughs) just trusting that you're for us. Some of us don't believe it. Some of us aren't sure. Some of us uh, have thought about that very quickly and easily and, and just skipped right past it. But Father, the depth of impact that that statement has that you are for us. God, I pray that you would overwhelm us with it today. Father, and as you overwhelm each person in this room with the fact that you are for us, that you are on our side, may it manifest itself in our love, in our support, in our enthusiasm to share that with others. Holy God, we ask you these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God is for you. And maybe that is something that you've heard before. Maybe that's something that um, you kind of just skip right past because maybe you've grown up hearing that. Maybe it's something that you don't believe that God is for you. That when he, that when he created you, he doesn't just create people just so that we can exist and just kind of do our best. But God actually wants you to experience a life that is full. A full, meaningful life. He created you to experience life in an exciting and thrilling way. All right, so I mean, that's why you and I love to laugh. And I don't know if maybe you've got kids or grandkids or, or whatever, but that's why when you hear in the back of the car or if they're in another room when your kids are playing and they just start like, they're probably watching TV is really what's happening here. And they just start this belly laugh that's just like this infectious giggle. And you can't help but to smile at it. All right, you can't help but to find joy in that because we love to laugh. All of us do. We love to laugh. It's something that God, our Heavenly Father, created in us to experience and enjoy life to its fullest, right? We love to have fun. And I want, have you ever thought about why you love to have fun? Why do we, as a, in a common human experience, find many of the same things entertaining and fun, right? Because our Heavenly Father Created every person in this room and in your life with a desire for adventure, a desire to enjoy life. And that's not something that's biological as much as it is spiritual, because our Heavenly Father created us to laugh and to enjoy life. Have you ever wondered why you like to sing? I mean, like out loud, of course, not in front of other people mostly, but why you like to sing out loud in the car? Why you like to sing out loud in the shower? Listen, your Heavenly Father put that in you. To enjoy life in an abundant, fulfilling way. But if God is real, if God is real and if he has this desire for you and I to to live this fulfilling, enjoying life, then we have to consider something else too. We have to consider that there is something else, someone else, that maybe there's two forces at work in your life. One that wants to steal your potential to live fully, an evil one that wants to see life sucked out of you, and another one that wants to see and fuel your potential to really live. We have to consider that there is one that hopes to propel you into a direction that will lead to your destruction. And there's one that wants to propel and breathe life into you that will lead you to a life that is abundant and exciting. That's why God wants you to know his story. That's why God, listen, that God is so obsessed. And and I'll tell you what some of that is this morning with you knowing his story. Because God wants you and I to know that since the foundations of the earth, he has created you, And breathe life into you so that you would know him and experience his life that he's dreamed for you. That's why he create. that's what he's given to us. He's created you and tells this story I'm about to tell you over and over and over again so that you can be certain, so that your kids can be certain, so that your grandkids can know for sure that God has a life for you that he's dreamed up for you that is full and life-giving. But we have a hard time believing that sometimes. I mean, I think we, and I'm not just talking about those of us who don't follow Jesus, I'm talking about all of us. We have a hard time believing that God is for us sometimes. Maybe recently you've had the heartache of losing a loved one. And sometimes you have a hard time believing, really, is God for me in this pain? Many of us have the pain of addiction that has hurt us, and hurt the people that we love. And in those moments, it's like, really, God's f- for me? And my family's been ravaged by addiction? Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's loneliness, and, and you have felt, and if it hasn't been you, I promise someone you love very dearly, very, very dearly, has thought, you know what, maybe, maybe I would be better off, and so would the people I care about, if I just wasn't around at all. And in those moments, you doubt it, is God really for me? Does He really have a fulfilling life for me, right? Maybe you constantly struggle with your relationship with your parents. Maybe you constantly struggle being a parent. Maybe your marriage is hurting, and in the midst of just that daily grind and the daily fight, you wonder, is God really for me? Maybe it's just your boredom and your disappointment with faith, with religion and church. Maybe you're just bored of it. And many of us live out our faith or live this life thinking, yeah, maybe God wants something from me. We believe that, right? But God wants something for me, that he's actually for me. I'm not so sure. If you've ever felt that, If you've ever wondered that or doubted that or questioned that, then I don't know if it'll be any consolation to you, but you're in good company and you're not alone. In fact, when we read in God's word, of all of these people that have this great faith, most of them, and dare I say all of them, they had a hard time believing that God was for them too. What about Abraham? Now, if you don't know Abraham, let me tell you about Abraham's story. He was a guy that God came to you and said, I want you to trust me. I, Abraham, I want you to trust me, and I promise that I will be with you every step of the way. And here's what I want you to do. For Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation of people. And because this nation, this Jewish nation, this nation of Israel that I will build, the whole world will come to know you. And come to, or come to know me and come to know my son, Eva, ultimately, because of you, Abraham. But here's the thing, Abraham, I want you to trust me, right? And I want you to trust me that I will be with you every step of the way. So Abraham's like, all right, let's do this. So he packs up his family, he packs up his wife, and he starts heading to this place that God's leading him. And they have to pass through Egypt. And listen to Genesis chapter 12, what Abraham does when they get to Egypt, in verse, chapter 12, verse 11 in Genesis, it says, Abram said to his wife Sarai, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, so let's kill him, then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister, then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. God says, Abraham, trust me, I'm going to walk this with you every step of the way. And at the first sign of fear... At the first sign of, of, um, of, of doubt, of confrontation, Abraham just decides to pimp out his wife and say, I don't know. I don't know. First sign, Abraham says, God, I don't think you're actually for me. I don't believe you. So what about Moses? I don't know if you've heard the name Moses before, but let me tell you about Moses. Moses was the guy a few hundred years later after Abraham that that God comes to and says, Moses, here's the thing. My people Israel are are enslaved in Egypt, and I want you to go to the king of Egypt, and I want you to, to, to have release my people from slavery. And Moses, I am choosing you to lead Israel to a new promised land, to a place where they will call their home, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Moses, are you up for this? And eventually Moses says, yes, I'm up for it and he leads them out into the desert and they're they're going towards this promised land and the people begin to grumble and complain to Moses. Man, we're really thirsty out here in the desert. Moses, do something. And Moses is like, I got your back. Let me go to God and I'll talk to him for it. And so you see this this, um, Moses talking to God in Numbers chapter 20, all right, verse seven, says the Lord said to Moses, okay, all right, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour its water out. So what God is saying to Moses is, listen, do what I tell you to do, all right? I have a fulfilling, abundant life for you and my people, Moses. I'm in favor of you. I am pro you. But Moses wasn't so sure. And Moses thought, you know what, maybe God didn't know what he was doing. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe God doesn't really know what he's doing. It's possible, right? And so what Moses does in in, in his impatience, and in his, I'm going to maybe take this into my own hands, instead of speaking to the rock for water to pour out, Moses takes a staff and he hits the rock once, and then he hits it a second time, and water gushes from it. And the people drink. But God brings Moses and Aaron back and says, Listen, in verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. God is for you. And the people with the greatest faith in the Bible said, I'm not so sure. So what about David? Uh, I mean, if, if, you, um, if you've ever, you know, been in church for any amount, portion of your life, or if you haven't, maybe you've heard the name David. He was Israel's greatest king, all right? King David. He was strong. He was secure. He's a guy that was described as being a man after God's own heart. And so you and I could think, now, who's better than King David? I mean, David's awesome. He fought Goliath. Maybe you know that story. Maybe you don't. It's an incredible one. You have to read it. All right, but, but David's awesome, all right? But look in 2 Samuel, all right? 2 Samuel, in chapter 11, what we find out about David. Listen to this. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David set Joab and the Israelite army out to find the Ammonites, fight the Ammonites. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Something you might notice there is that David is the king. And what Samuel says is in the spring, when kings lead their armies out to war, what's David doing? He's staying behind. See, David had a job, or God had given a job to David to fulfill, and David just kind of sloughed it off on someone else. David's not fulfilling the role God had given them. In fact, David's thinking this way. If God was really for me, listen, because I don't know if this will sound familiar to you or if this resonates with you, but if God was really for me, maybe his desires would match mine if God was really for me, if he was really for you, if he really wanted you to thrive in life, if he really wanted you to experience a fulfilling life, have you ever thought this? Then I'll bet God's desires need to match mine. And that's what David thought. And so he's at home, kind of bored, not doing the thing that God intended him to do. He sees another man's wife and he lusts after her. He pursues her. He has an affair with her and murders her husband. And there's a whole boatload of consequences that come as a result of David's sin and there's God saying David man I'm rooting for you like I love you I want you to win and experience a fulfilling life but you have got to trust my plan for your life I don't know about you but David wasn't so sure What about Peter? I was like, maybe we get into the New Testament and once Jesus is on the scene and people see the miracles that Jesus is doing and certainly people are saying, certainly people can understand that God is for them then. So Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, okay, he has um, something in mind that Jesus didn't. Peter always had a hard time understanding when Jesus would look at him and the other disciples and say, guys, I'm going to go die on a cross and I have to go to the cross in order to take the sin of the world on myself. And to reunite you within, in a relationship with God. Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to die. And I'm going to die for you. Now, Peter had in mind his own version of religion. I don't know if this is familiar to you and me. Some of us, maybe we can reson- this resonates. But Peter had in his mind what faith could look like if he were to kind of massage it and make it up. Peter had in mind then what an outcome might be if he could kind of just create his own version Of following Jesus because he wasn't sure that God's plan was the best plan and so he intervenes when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus look what John tells us that happens in John chapter 18 then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus the high priest's slave but Jesus said to Peter put your sword back into its sheath shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the father has given me listen listen here's the point Here's the point. People of great faith in God's word, names that maybe you've heard before, maybe not, but maybe you've heard these people that are supposed to be these incredible men and women of God, great faith, great trust, all of them, doubted and struggled with the idea, is God really on my side? Is he really for me? But God gave them evidence. Man, all along the way, God gave them evidence of his faithfulness. And the truth is, God gives you and me that evidence, too, that he is definitively and most definitely for you. I'm going to give you three of them here very quickly. Three pieces of evidence that you and I have that we serve a God, that we have a Heavenly Father who is most definitely for us. And here's the first one. God sent Jesus to prove he was for you. Jesus was sent specifically to prove that God is for you. Probably one of some of the most famous words in the entire Bible, all right? John chapter three, sixteen. These are Jesus's words. This is what it says, for this is how God loved the world. This is how he did it. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent Jesus to prove that he was for you. And when Jesus says eternal life, this is a present tense promise, which is a little bit mind-blowing, actually. When Jesus says eternal life, he says it in such a way that says this is a present tense promise. Listen, Jesus did not go to the cross and raised from the dead so that you and I could have this future hope that one day we would go to heaven and we would just wait until then. Jesus died and rose from the grave, and he says it in his own words, so that you and I can start experiencing this eternal life now. It's a present tense reality that Jesus offers those who trust him, that you can start living eternally now. And listen, this is even better. Not only can you start living eternally now, but following Jesus actually gives you an advantage in life. Like, why? How does that that work? That following Jesus actually gives me an advantage in life. Following Jesus gives you an advantage because you are following someone who came and said, listen, I am going to fight against everything in your life that came to steal and destroy abundant living. Jesus came to counter everything that the evil one has come to say, if you live this way, you'll be better off. If you just live in your doubt, you'll be better off. If you could make up your own way, you'll be better. And Jesus said, I'm coming, and I'm going to destroy those things who will try, that try to steal your potential. Jesus came so that you could start living with an eternal perspective in your life now, not just later. So that when you and I, we, we had this advantage in life, so that when you and I approach love, or relationships, or God, or the way that we view other people, or the way that we view ourselves, that we have this eternal perspective in mind. And God changes our hearts. Not so that you can just live for him one day, that you can live for him today. That abundant life can be had now, and then be made perfect later. I love it when Jesus says this. He says it right after. He says, have eternal life. In John chapter, ch- same, chapter 3, verse 17, he says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment. What's the word right after judgment? Against. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Listen, Jesus proves that God is for you. But that's not it. Here's the second one. God surrounds you with people who are for you. Another piece of evidence that you have a God, you have a Heavenly Father who is rooting for you, is that He surrounds you with people who are for you. And why do you think that is? You, were, you and I were created to be in relationship with other people. And we have that desire. Now, I'll tell you what's true from your perspective and mine. It's sometimes we doubt. Sometimes from our perspective, we're surrounded often by people who are not rooting for us, and I get that, and I understand that. Some of us, from our perspective, we we work for a boss who is not rooting for us. We live in a home with parents, or maybe a spouse, who is not rooting for God's best for you. Some of us have friends, or so-called friends. Man, they're not pro-you. They might be pro-fun. They may be pro your personality. But a lot of us have friends who are not fighting for God's abundant life for us. And that's why the idea of the church was so important to Jesus. Because in Jesus' mind, and he's, gonna, he's created a body of people. And listen, so many Christians, so many people who profess to follow Jesus miss this. And I don't want White Oak to miss it. So many people who profess to follow Jesus miss out on this, and they see the church as an institution, as something to attend once in a while, apart from relationships that breathe life into them. And you cannot separate those two things. See, one part of the evidence that God gave you that he is for you is that he has surrounded you with a spiritual family who is for you. And that's why when I come in to make a sports camp, which we celebrate here every night last week, and I see the 140 teenagers and adults who are just spending their hours every evening, just pouring life into 270 kids. I mean, just just spending time with them, loving them, praying with them, talking to them about Jesus, playing with them. And when I see those adults Doing that, I' tell you, I'd be perfectly honest with you guys, I walked in here every night, and I, would, I, I was humbled that there would be so many adults and teenagers who would give so much of themselves to speak into the life of your kids. That's what Jesus had in mind. Now for some of you, the people that God has given you who are for you, it might be your parents. It might be your, for some of you, it's your friends. But for all of us, it's an invitation to be part of a spiritual family. And we will do it imperfectly, I promise. Because this church is made up of broken, hurting people, then you're going to have to rub shoulders and be impacted by the lives of broken and hurting people. So there's your warning. It's not an excuse, but it's true. But we are a spiritual family here. And God surrounds us with people surrounds you with people who I promise are for you. They are for your kids. They are for your grandkids. To experience an abundant version of life that God has always been dreaming for you. God wants you to understand that you have a heavenly father who has surrounded you with people who want to see you thrive. Here's the third thing. God sent Jesus to prove that he was for you. God surrounded you with people to prove that he was for you. And God created you to be for others, to prove that he's for you. Now, is that interesting? I, f- I find that an interesting thing. That, that, one of the ways that God um, proves to you that he's for you is he creates you for something. It's for other people. Now, you and I have the propensity to be selfish, right? Anybody? A couple of you? Great. All right. Some of us have a propensity towards uh, selfishness and, and greed, all right? But when you say yes, and I know every person in this room has experienced this, okay? Whether you follow Jesus or not, but because, because God has built this into you. When you say yes to serving someone, when you say yes to giving generously to someone, when you say yes to helping someone... When you say yes to 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 serving kids or to speak into the lives of teenagers there's something that is sparked in us isn't there I mean there's something that is ignited in your spirits when you give to others when you help others when you're for others and I'm telling you this right now this is not biological this is far more spiritual your heavenly father created that into the DNA of your soul to find joy in being for others and here's something else. He created you to desire to be around people. He created you with a longing to belong, right? Every single one of us have this longing to belong to some place, to belong to some people, right? And your heavenly father put that there so we would rely on one another and be before one another. And actually, this seems like a broken plan, but it's his, and so I trust it that actually other people would experience his goodness because you were for them. God put it there to work that way. Now, let's take, let's take a vacuum cleaner, for example, all right? What is a vacuum cleaner's m- main job? It's to suck up dirt, right? So the next time you plug in, and I know some of you, it may be a long time, but next time you plug in the vacuum cleaner, and you start vacuuming your living room, no one ever you know, starts you know, running that thing, out, oh my gosh, honey, come take a look at this. Like, no, you've got to come look at this. Come look at what it's doing. It's sucking up dirt. No one does that. You're, I mean, no one does that. That's stupid, right? Because you're not surprised when something's functioning the way it should be functioning, right? Now, what you should be surprised by, what should anger you a little bit, what should give you this righteous, holy kind of indignation is when something isn't functioning. So when you plug that thing in and you flip on the switch and you start cleaning and nothing's happening, that gets your attention because it's not functioning to do the thing that it's supposed to do. So I don't know why, why is it? There's many reasons, but, but my heart breaks for the teenagers in this community Who too many times we hear say, like, maybe they'd be better without me. Maybe suicide is an actual, real option for the pain in this life and the loneliness and hurt in this life. How many people just struggle with anxiety, hopelessness, loneliness... Sometimes, not every time, but sometimes we can't see outside of ourselves, and we're not functioning in this God-given way that we are to breathe life and find purpose in many things that God gives us, but one of those things is being for others. Listen, God created you to be for other people, and he wants you to experience the life change and the heart change that he has in store for you when you consider that you start living for other people. That's why W.O.C.C. is for you. That's why White Oak is for you. Just telling you that right now. That's why White Oak is for you. Because the evidence to me is overwhelming. The evidence to me is something that I cannot make up for you, and I couldn't dream it up on my own because I'm not that good the evidence that we have a heavenly father who wants to see us succeed and thrive in the life that he's dreamed up for us. Man, if I could just like have a minute to say that to every teenager in this room, or or to sit down with every kid in this room, to every mother, father, husband, and wife, every young adult, if we could just sit down and say, man, God is for you. He, He has this plan for you to succeed and have this abundant, fulfilling life. And I love how Paul says it in Romans chapter 8 when Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome. He says this in Romans chapter 8. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And the answer is nobody. Now we have an enemy, and I don't know if you believe this, but we have an enemy who wants to steal away your enjoyment, who wants to lead you down a path that you think you're winning in, but the end is ultimate loss. We have an enemy who wants to whisper into your ear, your sin and your shame haunts you, my friend. And why would God want you if you carry all that baggage? You have an enemy who will whisper into your ear, you have doubts. Right? You've got questions. And as long as you have those doubts and those questions, you can't take a deeper step towards God. We have an enemy who whispers into our ear trying to steal away the potential, trying to steal away life abundant from our kids and our grandkids. We have an enemy who says, your past experiences, the fear that you have from them, the disappointment that you have from them, man, fear and anger and disappointment are your strongest confidence right now. We have an enemy who wants our apathy To rule our faith, and he whispers into your ear, your version of life is much better than the God that you think is for you. But no one, nothing can be against you. You have a heavenly father who is for you. And Jesus came to take back your life and to awaken your soul so that you can experience this life to its fullest, even as we wait for the one to come. And I love how Paul wraps up that passage there in verse 32. He says, Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? I choose to believe, yes, that he is for me. That he's for my kids, that he's for this church. that he's for this community. So here's what I want us to reflect on as we just have a moment here to sit and just um, think, maybe the first semi-quiet we can hear the kids lining up over here. So it's a semi-quiet moment. All right. But maybe for the first semi-quiet moment you've had all week, maybe it's been forever since you've prayed. I don't know where you are spiritually right now, but I want you to take this minute to reflect on this thing, this one, listen, beautiful thing. God is for you. And so we are for you too. God is for you. And so we are for you too. God is for you. He's for you. And we are for you too.